Hi, I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brennan's Female Podcast. This week, my guest is Ingrid McIntosh of TD Bank Group. Before we get to our conversation, I want to thank our sponsors. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women entrepreneurs achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, we're talking about women and their finances with expert Ingrid McIntosh, who holds an impressive role at TD Bank Group as VP Wealth and Head of Sales Enablement, Communications and Digital Strategy. Ingrid has had an impressive track record being part of a small group of women to hold a senior executive position within wealth management at a Canadian financial institution. With three decades of experience in the investment industry, Ingrid shared her advice on how women can take control of their finances, a role we often shy away from for various reasons. We also discussed the specific challenges we're dealing with uh, when it comes to investments and the changes that we've seen take place on markets as a result of the pandemic. In our conversation, you'll hear Ingrid talk about the fact that women are expected to control 50% of the financial wealth in Canada by 2026, and the shift this means for how the financing industry approaches women clients. Here is our conversation. You have this very impressive title, very impressive position with TD. And uh, I want to ask you about um, your journey up to this point and maybe even taking us to Ingrid growing up. What were your dreams and aspirations? And did you ever think you would have a career in finance one day? So there's a there's a loaded question. Take you right back to your childhood. But as a, as a bit of background, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I want to have a career in finance and I want to advise pension funds. Um, I would say that, you know, I've been on a 30 plus year journey in the financial services industry. Um, I started because I thought it was fun and interesting and exciting and I was good at math and statistics. So I thought this would be an exciting role. And I've taken a 30-year journey, which has been less planful and more eventful, I would say, um, through both the capital market side of the industry, through working with pension plans and solving problems, to now working more broadly in a, in a senior role within the asset management industry, advising and supporting different types of channels on their um, financial journey. I would say the career path that uh, has led me here has been one of just finding things that interested me, trying to do a great job at them, and then moving along. But particularly the work that I'm doing today around helping build financial literacy, while it is a passion project for me, it's one of the most interesting and exciting things uh, that I've done to date. You asked me a little bit about going back to the beginning. Um, yeah, I am... I was raised by a single mother um, who also worked in financial services at the outset. She worked in the pension industry advising pension plans, and I thought that was the craziest, most boring thing in the world. I didn't realize that, you know, some 30-plus years later, I would be doing pretty much exactly the same thing. Um, I just, I'm a problem solver. I like to uh, support people. I love puzzles, and I like breaking them down. Um, I actually started out as an English major. Uh, so communication was at the core of what I did, and then I pivoted to stats and economics because I realized I probably wasn't going to write any books, and I wanted something that was going to afford me a lifestyle that I might like. Uh, and in the background, um, I married a geologist with a couple of children, had a couple of more. I now have four kids between the ages of 20 and 32. 
uh, raised all of them, uh, three boys and a girl. So I think I'm in a pretty good situation to talk about some of the differences between men and women. Absolutely. And I actually want to ask you, um, you know, we're speaking, it's still, we're still in the middle of the COVID pandemic, although we are starting to see uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. How, how has the lockdown and the, isolate, the isolation period been for you um, and, and, and your family? I'm going to say it's hard and I'm lucky. And what I mean by that is, um, well, of course, this is difficult. I'm very fortunate that I am isolated with my husband and our two youngest children who are in their um, early 20s, just mm-hmm. finishing their university um, uh, journeys. But we also have two of our sons are living by themselves in apartments in downtown Toronto, and they are isolated. Uh, So I really feel for the experience that they're having, and I wish we could all be together, but that's not the Mm -hmm. case. Um, I'm also learning how to um, adapt and be really patient as our our young adult children, because we haven't really lived together for four or five years. So this is is an interesting dynamic in holding one's tongue and adapting to different lifestyles. So I think I'm learning Mm -hmm. a lot of patience intolerance. I am hypersensitive, though, to whether it's my children or the millennials on my team, um, the people that are isolated and uh, are are missing pieces as a leader. um, I find Mm -hmm. it challenging because, as we both know, so much of what happens in a dialogue or in working with people is about those visual cues, and we're missing those. We do a lot of WebEx and a lot of those types of conversations. Mm -hmm. I am also seeing some of the male-female differences play out a little bit. Um, so my daughter, who, God love her, is a major in gender studies, uh, is also, you know, she'll be the first to pick up the, um, the reins and do the cooking or the meal prep or things around here, things that we're naturally mm. biased to for some reason. Um, she'll be the yeah. first to decide that things need to be cleaned. Um, and uh, my husband and son will do more of the project work and uh, wait to be asked to do things. So there's a little bit of a uh. difference there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How interesting. And so interesting that your daughter picked gender studies as well. She she definitely was inspired by some uh, some of your own experience, I would assume. Um, I'm thinking so. Maybe also growing up as the youngest of four and the only girl. So uh, yeah. <laughs> she's uh, and so now so she's now schooling me on um, what I can and can't say. And I was delighted to see uh, some of the work that we're doing in my organization at TD around women and financial confidence show up in one of her final papers. So as a parent, mm. you're certainly delighted when um, your children, we know they love us, but when they demonstrate that they respect us, that's a great, great feeling. Oh, yes, yes, that's amazing. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, you are the executive sponsor for Women and Wealth at TD. And that's what you've mentioned is not your full-time job. It's a, it's a passion project for you. So tell me more about that program and also what inspired you to get involved. Yeah, so this is, um, I think, you know, from my perspective, this is both a business and a social imperative. Um, We're at this pivotal moment for women, generally speaking, in financial services. Um, We've seen within one generation this really seismic shift for women. And women are now, as I say, they're out learning, up earning and out living men at a pace that Mm -hmm. we've never before witnessed. So we have more women than men um, graduating from university. We have more women uh, moving into post-secondary educations. Um, I say up earning because we haven't fully closed the income and and wage gap yet, but but we're getting better. Um, And then finally, outliving men. So um, on average, just by pure age, women live about four years longer than men. 
But um, because women are often married to men that are slightly older, that means that women gonna, are going to outlive men. And where we are in terms of the demographic cycle means that within five to seven years, more than half of the financial assets in Canada are going to be controlled by women, and 90% of women are ultimately going to be the sole financial decision maker in their households. So that's a huge, huge, huge mm. shift. So all of a sudden, of course, wow. our business yeah. hat is on going, okay, um, women are going to control the assets. Mm-hmm. However, um, when we start to look under the hood of that a little bit, there's all sorts of really troubling data, right? Women aren't feeling comfortable with the financial services industry. Um, women often fire their advisors when their spouses die. There's something in there mm-hmm. that isn't working for women in financial services. So the program in itself, it's really two-prong, two-three-prong. Um, one is what are we doing internally to work with our own teams, et cetera, to help uncover some of these, I'm not going to say intent, like unconscious and unintentional biases that we maybe have in the industry that are causing us to not serve women appropriately, but what are all the other things that we can help women self-identify and recognize and support to help mm-hmm. women join that conversation? Then, of course, you know, there's the other bigger business piece about how do we really demonstrate that we could be that leading organization that really serves women. I mean, you know, at TD, our brand is all about financial confidence. And with 52% of your population saying they're not financially confident, something's mm-hmm. missing there. So how, yeah. do, how do we solve for that? So that's why it's, it's really important to me. Uh, huge business and social opportunity here. You've referred to um, the difference between women and men's uh, behavior when it comes to wealth and and their approach to finance in in general. And I think you use the term wealth personality. So I'd like to hear about those main differences that you see between men and women. Mm -hmm. And I'll even start with a bit of a funny story there, because as I've been doing my learning and I've been on this journey um, you think that as a, a financial services executive, and you've been, I've been at it 33 plus years now, um, I would be different, right? Like I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be part of the general population that we look at when we have these conversations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the others, the, those, the people that don't have the same kind of access to insights and information that I have at my disposal. But the news flash for me was I turned out I was one of the others. So, you know, at the outset, I said, you know, I'm married, four kids. I'm married to a geologist, wonderful man, brilliant. Mm-hmm. He, he works in the geology industry, in the business itself. Um, but I'm the one that works in financial services. I'm the one that has spent a career actually doing things like designing investment structures for large pension plans. So mm-hmm. tell me, what is it about my situation that I myself abdicated the decision-making around investing in our family to my husband. <laughs> right. it, it doesn't make sense to me, but it goes yeah. into some of those, those wealth personality or traits that we see within women, and one of them is um, that kind of des- that, that desire to abdicate. So very often women are in the household, they're managing the household finances, but not mm-hmm. the investing side of it. And we talk sometimes about the right. three myths, right? Women have kind of this um, myth of time. They don't believe that they have enough time to spend learning uh, about investments, so they're not investing the time. They have this myth of knowledge. They don't think that they know enough to be having these conversations. Um, or they have the myth of wealth where they don't think that they have enough money to, to be um, having conversations. There's also something in there about um, 
about life stages as well. So uh, it's women's wealth personalities and thoughts around wealth are not linear throughout their lifestyle, but they actually change and go up and down in importance at certain stages in life. We know that women, when they have children, for example, care a lot less about managing finances. They get very focused on the children mm-hmm. and that nurturing part of their relationship. Um, right. Ironically, or, or maybe not right, ironically at all, men, on the other hand, get much more interested in finances when they become fathers because I think there is that, that sort of protecting piece. Um, but we do talk about wealth personalities and there's a number of different types, of, but, but some of them specifically as it pertains to wealth are, are things like conscientiousness. All right, women tend to be um, more conscientiousness, which is a great news story when it comes mm-hmm. to wealth and, and investing and so on, because conscientiousness, um, one of the traits would be if you set a plan, you're probably more likely to stick to that plan longer term. So um, women with a plan, an advised relationship, and a long-term goal would likely um, be more likely to be calm through, uh, through something like the market volatility we're seeing today in COVID, mm-hmm. uh, as right. an example. And since you've implemented this program, have you observed any uh, kind of big changes or have you seen a difference in, in behavior or um, something like even client retention? What would be the impact of this program until now? I'd say we're at, at, we are at early stages, so we're really building the, the awareness today. And, and I mean, so many advisors, as I say, do just such a terrific job that when you start to lay out some of the learnings from a behavioral perspective and the way women listen, et cetera, they start to say, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. I can easily adapt. Mm-hmm. Everybody's eager to adapt from a business perspective because as human beings, we all want to have great relationships with our clients and we want to do right uh, by our right. clients, but it's helping to shed some of those unconscious biases. I would say that um, once you start to scratch the surface on the differences between men and women, at a high level and start to uncover some of these, the next questions that start to come out are things around, um, well, what about cultural differences? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you can only imagine that once you start to go another layer down, there's all sorts of things that we need to be aware of and we need to be learning. But I think that um, overarchingly, our advisors, male and women, are eager to learn more, are eager to support their clients in the best possible way and want to learn from that. I would also say, just lost my train of thought. Um, I would also say that one of, I'm creating some airtime here. I would also say that when I'm out speaking to groups of women and having these conversations, women often say to me, well, does that mean we do better off with a female advisor and, or, you know, do women mm-hmm. prefer female advisors? And overarchingly, the answer is no. 90% of women don't care whether their advisor is male or female, but what they do care about is the behaviors. They want somebody who listens. They want somebody to understand and speak in their language, um, and they want to take the time to to learn and understand. Because we are speaking at a very particular time. um, We're we're still in the middle of COVID. Um, It's uh, the the pandemic has created a, a situation that uh, causes anxiety, high levels of stress. Um, anyone, um, you know, would have insecurity right now as far as the economy is concerned, and employment, and uh, uh, entrepreneurs, 
of course, have their own set of challenges. Um, it also affects our own personal finances and anybody with an investment portfolio has been going through uh, very, very scary, uncertain times lately. So how should we be approaching this and what, what's your general take on the current situation as a result of the pandemic? So I'll make a few observations here, um, generally speaking. So, um, you know, talking to experienced people in the investment industry, mm-hmm. we've all been through all sorts of big market corrections, market crashes, all sorts of things. We've never been through a pandemic before, right? So for right. sure, um, this is uncharted territory and we're very careful to, to focus on the things we do know, do know versus the things we don't know. Personally, as I said, I've been at this a long time. I started my career as an equity trader three weeks before the great crash of 1987. So I have seen, you know, I have seen a bunch of these things play out. Mm -hmm. And what we do know is that over the long term, markets recover. I've also heard a lot uh, recently um, comparing the pandemic and the situation we're in today and the market volatility to the great financial crisis we had in 2008. And um, let me sort of give our listeners some sense of comfort in that this is very different than what occurred in 2008. And 2008 was was truly um, a financial deconstruction, you know, of an overinflated market that was built on unprecedented levels of credit. And we had Mm -hmm. to work through all of that. This is different in that coming into the pandemic, in fact, despite our equity markets being at all time highs, we really were still in a very good position with respect to corporate balance sheets and the levels of debts. We were structurally Mm -hmm. in good shape. So right. for sure, the the size and the magnitude of the market sell-off was catastrophic in the early days because there was mm-hmm. so much unknown, and now we're in the piecing together. So if you think about it, major world markets were down over 35% mm-hmm. at the bottom in the, uh, the final weeks of March, and we've recovered almost half of that. So now we're starting right. to say, realistically, what do we know about um, the impact on earnings, the impact on GDP, and is this going to be you know, a six-month V-shaped recovery? Is this going to be a little bit longer structurally? But we actually believe we can see a way out of this, and the foundations were strong going in. So I don't worry about the really long-term nature of markets. Mm-hmm. What I do worry about are people who reacted in the moment people who panicked on the way down and pulled their money out of their investments only to have the market rebound and and kind of double that impact for them. Mm -hmm. Um, As I say, there's, there's, you know, two good days to invest yesterday and 40 years and 40 years ago. (laughs) So, so to people um, who are invested in the markets, I would say, you know, make sure you understand what your money is for. And if it is your long-term retirement savings, don't Mm -hmm. let what's happening in the moment trigger you to do something that you might regret longer term you know i talk about you know if you're if you're driving to work in the morning and there's a traffic jam that's okay but if you pull the car off the road and park you're ever going to get to the office you're not actually going to meet your goals your long-term dreams if you just pull away and, and and panic this season of the brand is female is made possible with the support of td bank group women entrepreneurs Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. 
What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners that can provide education, financing, mentoring, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you through workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. So what would you recommend? So for women who maybe have never had that conversation with an advisor, um, what would be things that they need to prepare for? And again, you've brought up the fact, I think it causes a lot of anxiety for, for many women. They, as you said, they either think they don't have enough money or they're not ready. Um, what are some of the things they should be prepared to discuss for that first meeting? Well, I think um, talk about, you know, making that financial checklist. What are the, the things that you have today and being aware of, you know, what do you have in your savings, your income, your age, how long you expect to work? Do you own a home? It's almost like a financial checklist of the assets that you have available. Mm-hmm. But again, a financial planner would help you navigate that, that conversation. Um, I think what's also important is finding somebody that you can work with. Because again, think about all those social harmony elements, right? If you... Yeah end up with um, somebody on your financial journey, an advisor that isn't a good fit for you, you're not going to ask the right questions. You're not going to feel properly served. So this is where you go back to your friend network and ask your friends, do you have somebody you trust? Do you have somebody that, um, that works well with you? Is there something about your situation? If you're divorced, do you have a friend who's divorced who has a great advisor who helped them navigate that? So finding somebody um, that really does work uh, well for your specific needs is incredibly important. And by the way, we tell our advisors this all the time. Women are referral machines, right? Back to the sense of community so and social yeah. harmony. A woman is two and a half times more likely to... Um, introduce a friend to their advisor if they have a great relationship. So mm-hmm. it really behooves advisors to make sure that they've got this right as well. Um, and uh, again, like ask your advisor to help you build that financial knowledge, but at the same time, start looking for that uh, that knowledge yourself. There's all sorts of great sites and blogs and, and conversations like this that, uh, that women can be involved in. And now going to... Um, coming back to a world a little bit outside the world of finance. Um, and this is a question I like to ask uh, all my podcast guests, but is there a book that uh, has especially inspired you? Maybe it's financial, maybe it's not. Well, it's funny because I do so much technical reading day to day that um, you know my guilty pleasure with books tend to, to be fiction. Um, I don't know why, but I often end up by accident. Maybe it's just the, the reading groups that I, I connect myself with with other women. There's often great female protagonists. One that I've just finished that I absolutely loved uh, was called The Alice Network. And it um, focused on two women who were sort of heroines of both the First and Second World War. So it's a bit historical fiction, but there's just so much great other stuff in there. There's a love story and there's women finding power over some of the things that were holding them back. I won't give away too much, uh, but I just love great stories of, uh, of women doing great things. And it's particularly in this case, going back almost 100 years, women doing just absolutely incredible things. So I think there's a lot to learn. Uh, within that story and it's just a great story a great read yeah no that sounds like a great pandemic read actually (laughs) um and i do want to ask you about your definition of success and i'm especially curious because you are you know somebody who works with numbers and finance and wealth specifically um what is what is success for you and has that definition changed over time 
Um, success for me was ensuring that I provided, of course, in concert with my partner, um, a, a lifestyle and a future for my children that I didn't have that was, had enough comfort, um, had the ability and the awareness to give back to their communities, that I raised mm-hmm. great, you know, great people. Um, that would go on and do great things for others. So I believe that I have worked hard along with my husband and created um, a safe household and and um, environment for them and instilled in them a set of values that they hope that they go forward and do great things for others on their journeys. And my last question, which is probably my favorite question to ask on the podcast, is what do you wish women would do more of? And and we know you want them to be more financially savvy, but... <laughs> uh, but, but it's just an underpinning of a bigger response. It's like, let's just trust ourselves. Mm. Let's trust ourselves individually, trust our instincts, trust our ability to learn and our knowledge, and then collectively trust each other as a community to lift each other up. So again, ask the questions, you know, not having knowledge doesn't mean you can't know. It just means you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. So go out, trust your instinct, and um, and build your own knowledge. Fantastic. Really good advice. Thank you so much, Ingrid. This was a great conversation. Wishing you a, a, a good recovery post-pandemic. Hopefully, we're getting to that stage. And thank you so much for speaking with me today. Uh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Ingrid McIntosh for this insightful conversation. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening and stay safe.